I want to tell you a story just as we begin, and uh, I want you to imagine that I am a vine, and uh, you don't have to imagine the grapes because I'm holding them, and uh, this is a story about Graham the grape. Once upon a time, there was a grape called Graham. Graham was a beautiful grape, a beautiful grape, round, uh, succulent, attractive, a bit of a stunning grape. At least that's what Graham thought of himself. He thought to himself, I am a beauty. People would love to gaze at me. But the problem is that here amongst all these other grapes, nobody can see me for who I really am. And so, I mean, as you're looking at the, you don't know which one Graham is. And that's the kind of thing that upset him. He wanted to be special. He wanted everyone to see how good a grape he was. So what he decided was that the best thing to do was to be on his own. So he removed himself from the bunch, clump, bunch. This morning, I had a debate with the, the morning congregation as to whether uh, I am a tree or a bush, but I'm, I'm reliably informed that a vine is neither a tree or a bush. But now you as an evening congregation are worried about whether this is a clump or a bunch. It's definitely a clump. It's definitely a bunch. <laughs> I have a bunch of coconuts, but I won't. Anyway. Now that's thrown me. <laughs> Concentrate, Donald. So anyway, so he decided that he would l be on his own and that he would place himself away from the vine, away from the other grapes, so that everybody could look at the beauty of himself, Graham. And they could see how wonderful it was. So throughout the whole of the evening service, there he was. And the congregation, he thought, marveled at his beauty. And in reality, I suspect the congregation quickly forgot about him. But how he, he marveled. And he thought, I will be here. And each day, whoever comes into the church will see how beautiful and wonderful I am. The next day, artability gathered uh, here in this very room. I'm not sure that they noticed, Graham, but he felt good. He felt he stood out. And the week progressed. Ladies' fellowship on a Thursday came, and they began to notice something they thought, why has Donald left a shriveled old grape on the table? <laughs> because something had begun to happen to Graham. He had begun to shrivel. Now, as I said to the morning congregation, many of them, less of you, many of them were acquainted with this process of shriveling. Less of you <laughs> are, uh, are, uh, are aware of it. It happens the day after your 25th birthday. The day after your 25th birthday, you start to shrivel slowly. It's a thing. It's a real... Th no, it may not be exactly your 25th birthday, but basically you grow until the age of 25. And then after the age of 25, though you think you're growing, you're growing in the wrong places and everything else is shriveling. <laughs> so, by ladies' fellowship time, Thursday, it was a bit shriveled, a bit wrinkly. By the time next Sunday comes, came, a week later, he was shriveled, 
as, as Holden said this morning, a raisin, maybe a prune. Is a prune a different thing or is, is it? <laughs> it's a dry plum. That could confuse a stupid person. <laughs> anyway, he was shriveled. And of course, we know and understand that the reason is that Graham needed to stay on the vine. That he needed the nutrients, the life, the energy that comes from the vine. That he cannot, could not exist on his own. So Graham had three problems. The first one was that he was self-obsessed. He thought that everything was about him. He thought that he was the most important grape on the bunch. He thought it was all about him. Secondly, he was self-sufficient. He thought he was all that he needed and that he could make everything work his way. And thirdly, he had a self-centered purpose. He thought that life, his agenda was what was life was about, that he would find his own purpose and make himself what he wants. Now, you and I know that a grape is not intended as a thing to be looked at. It's not an ornament. He wasn't created to be an ornament. He was created for something else. Most grapes that aren't seedless, we're not going to go into the theology of whether this is a seedless grape or not, because that spoils the whole story. Most grapes are, are there to reproduce a seed goes in and reproduces. But his problem resulted in him withering and dying. We're looking at the next part of John, which is about fruitfulness. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We have two choices in life. First choice is this. Are we going to live out God's intention and purpose for us this week? Or are we going to go with our own goals and our own agenda and our own ambitions? Are we going to live as God would like us to live this week or are we going to live our way? That's the first choice. The second choice is are we going to do it on our own or are we going to ask for God's help? Theodore Roosevelt says, far and away, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And I know that for many of us, that's not easy. And for many of us, there is a sense of frustration in the day-to-day -day job that we have, and we think, is this worth doing? And it, it, it's a really difficult and painful experience that I know many experience of just feeling the reason I get up and go to work is... is is not a value. But actually our lives are bigger than just what we do paid-wise. Just how we relate to the community and our friends and our family. There is what we do with our spare time, how we relate to church. And oh, taking the whole picture, we want to be in a place where we feel that we are doing something that's worth doing. We're living a life that's worth living. And show you a, a Dilbert cartoon I've used before, but it's one of my favourites. And uh, uh, Dilbert says, uh, when I get to it, Dilbert says, today I had a choice between doing something important that no one would ever notice 
or doing something useless that would look like an accomplishment. And that's quite a tough choice, isn't it? Doing something important that no one notices because actually all of us want to be noticed. We want to be thanked. We want to be appreciated. And doing the quiet things that only God sees, that's hard. And very often we are drawn into the temptation to do what other people go, oh, that looks cool. Oh, I like what you posted there. I like that image. I like what you're wearing. Your lifestyle is cool, but inside we're going, does it matter? So if I asked you, which would you choose, to do something important that nobody notices or something that looks like an accomplishment but is useless, I guess that you would know what you would want to choose, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you do choose it. Dilbert says, so I attended meetings until I could no longer appreciate the difference. Sort of hopelessness, isn't it? It's easy. Oops, hang on. Let's go back a bit. It's easy to make a buck. It's a lot tougher to make a difference. It's easy, perhaps easier to make money. It's quite difficult to make a difference. How do we do what God intended us to do? And are we going to do that on our own or with His help? We're in John's Gospel. We've looked in previous weeks. All of these are available. You can uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a podcast person like me, you can subscribe to our uh, podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever it is, and you can have uh, listen to them in the car, listen to them walking, or you can uh, go on our website and you'll see under the section devotionals, everything's there. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and there's loads of playlists. But you can go back and look at where we've been in John's Gospel for the last three years. And last week we were looking at what it means. It's uh, remote. Either I'm pressing it too hard or it's a bit dodgy. Last week we looked at uh, peace and we asked those questions. So we're going to move on in chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6. We're going to come back in and out of them. But we're really going to focus on the middle verse uh, or the latter verse, chapter verse 5. I am the true vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We're going to ask four questions. What is the fruit that we are to bear? We'll take a different length of time over these questions. How do we bear fruit? How do we remain in Jesus? And what do we do? And what does God do to help us bear fruit? So let's ask the first question. What is the fruit we are to bear? And I want to suggest to you that just as the seed is to reproduce grapes, that we are to reproduce disciples reproduce disciples who reproduce disciples. So we are to replica, replicating disciples. And I'm going to unpack what that means, what that looks like uh, uh, in a minute or two. But what we're really saying is that God has created and calls us to make disciples. And disciples are those who seek to walk with Jesus, copying and obeying him. When Jesus uh, came, he called disciples. He said, I want you to follow me. And, when he, and they followed him for two or three years. They copied and obeyed what he did. And then when he left, he said, and I want you to go out and make disciples. And the world isn't divided into two categories of Christian and disciple. And actually, the word Christian very rarely occurs in the New Testament. And in the Bible as a whole, the word disciple is much more common. Or believer. We are called to be believers, disciples, people who walk and obey 
Jesus, loving like him. What does that look like? Well, it looks like people who bless, who transform, who forgive, who release, who restore, who bind up, who serve. In other words, Jesus is calling people to live that kind of life, and it's costly. That's the life Jesus led. That's the life he invites us to follow. And we may say, I don't actually know whether I want to be a disciple, let alone try and create and enable and encourage anybody else to be a disciple. So let's just remind ourselves what a disciple is in terms of value. Five reasons that I refer to a number of times and hopefully we'll remember quite easily. Five reasons why we might want to be a disciple to do with the past, the present, and the future. Firstly, that we have a forgiven past. A disciple is someone whose guilt, shame, the low self-esteem, regret, all of that washed and cleansed and forgiven. Secondly, that we have a worth. We are worth the blood of Jesus, that he has died in our place. We are, a price has been put upon us. We are valuable, precious to God. So a disciple is understood that they have a forgiven past and a present worth and a present purpose. We're going to talk about that. But life isn't meant to be aimless and pointless. But God has called us. I want you to live my life this week, year. And that, then he then guides us. He again gives us wisdom for living. So a disciple is hopefully steered away from all kinds of damaging mistakes as we seek to live out God's word. A forgiven past, a present worth, a present purpose, a present wisdom, and a future hope that whatever is going on, he will put it right. And whatever injustices or suffering, difficulties, it is temporary. So I personally am fully on board that it's a good idea to be a disciple. That the benefits of being a disciple, forgiven past, present worth, present purpose, present wisdom, future hope is worth the sacrifice of living the life he calls us to, of love, of living a life of love. Actually, I'm quite excited about the idea of love. So we're to be disciples who replica, replicating disciples. And those who, what that means is that there are people who, because of the life we have lived, know what a disciple is, and they want to be one. Uh, uh, sometimes people, uh, I meet people and, and they say, oh, I've never met a vicar. And I say, well, I'm not a vicar. I say, I've never met a clergyman. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. What do you do? What, 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 what is that? What's the job like? What does it involve? In fact, I think probably most people don't really know what it involves. It, it, it involves a lot of things that people don't imagine that it involves. But hopefully, if you were to, to have a conversation with me and ask me what I did, you would find out what a minister does. And that's what being a disciple is, that you live such a life that people go, okay, so that's what you do. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. And then they have the decision as to whether they want to be one. But hopefully, we've lived such a life of being a disciple that others go, I would like that life. It's a story, that, again, that you may be familiar with, with a monk who is uh, journeying, journey, journeying, traveling, and on his travels, he sees something shiny and glittery in the mud and the earth, and he scratches away, and it's an uncut, pure, natural diamond. And he knows enough about life to know that this is incredibly valuable. 
worth hundreds of thousands of pounds. He pops it in his pocket. As he's journeying along, he meets another fellow traveler, and they walk together for a while, and they chat. They sit down for lunch. He opens his bag. The guy says, do you know how much that is worth? And the monk goes, I can guess. I guess it's worth hundreds of thousands of pounds. He goes, absolutely. He said, oh, I, I just found it. And you know what kids do when kids uh, see something and they go, uh, can I have that? And, um, you know, it always irritated me as an adult. You, know, you, you get your own chips. Don't say, can I have that? Anyway, he says to the kid, he says, no, it's a kid. He says to the monk, he says, can I have that? It just comes out of his mouth. Can I have it? And it was amazement. The monk goes, sure. And so he takes the the diamond, and he sets off on his journey, and they separate, they're going different places. But a few days later, the traveler finds the monk again. He says, I've been looking for you, I've been looking for you everywhere, I'm so glad to find you. He says, what, what, why, why do you want to find me? He says, I want to know what it is that you have that is better than that diamond that means you didn't care for a moment about giving it away. I want what you have that I didn't take when I took the diamond. And that's what Jesus invites us to do. He invites us to live such a life that people go, I want to know what it is that you have. We've discovered as a church, and we found a very helpful model, which we've talked about on Renewal Sunday for a number of years, that explains what the journey of a disciple is. And I want to just go through it again, because it gives five things that we can do in order to help people become disciples. So we understand their journey, we understand our part in their journey. So the first part of a disciple's journey is that they experience the love of God and they are blessed. In other words, they discover some way through kindness, through generosity, through compassion, that God is loving and good. And so our role, firstly, in making disciples is to bless people, to do good things, to be kind, to be generous, to be thoughtful, just to bless. We do that with our food bank all the time. We just want to bless people. We bless them by giving them food. We bless them by trying to pray with them if they want that, if that's something they need. But just being friendly. We're not after anything. We just want to bless and once people are beginning to become an environment of discovering the goodness of God, and I know not everybody will have been through this journey. Some of us will have done it a different way, but this is a, a common kind of journey. Uh, we just, the next thing is that people feel belong, there's belonging. There's a relationship. There's a sense of community that they feel welcomed into and accepted. That people tend to find faith once they have found Christians who love them. And so our part of that is to welcome people, to include, to say, come on in, be part of us, join with what we're about. And once people feel that they're in a community of Christians and they're watching and learning and feeling loved and valued and accepted, the, second, the third part of that is they, they believe, they come to a point, it's a decision, a decision we all need to make. There's a decision to follow Jesus, to accept him, to invite him into our lives as our Lord and Saviour. Well, how do we help people do that? We simply help them by being able to tell our story. How we follow Jesus, why we follow Jesus, how we got baptized, why we got baptized. 
We don't have to have the answer to all the theological questions. We've got Alpha uh, as a place where those kind of things can be uh, talked about. All we want is, is for people to, be able to say, this is what Jesus did for me and how. And that helps people believe because they think, well, if, if they can believe, I can believe. And then uh, uh, folks, once they start to believe, that's when they start to behave. And it's really crucial that we understand it's that way around. That once we invite Jesus into our life, he begins to say, now I want to change this. And now I want to do that. He doesn't say, before you become a Christian, you need to change. That's religion. He says, come and follow me and I will change you. And what do we do as part of that process? Well, we model what changed people look like. We model a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. We model living Jesus' lives. 24-7 authenticity is what we talk about uh, here at church. And once people start to, to find that the Spirit of God has entered them and is changing their behavior and they're beginning to feel that needs to change, that needs to change, that needs to be sorted out, then they join in the process of blessing others because when we behave as christ wants us to behave we are a blessing to other people and therefore the cycle continues and we participate in that by encouraging people to continue to bless by supporting by by praying for people by gathering among other Christians saying you can do this and the journey continues in a cycle as we go round each thing so how do we bear fruit well, we've said five things. We bless, we welcome, we give testimony, we model, and we encourage. And that's all very practical. That's what it looks like. Most of us will go, yeah, but I can't do that. And so actually what Jesus says is that we remain in Jesus. The old-fashioned word in the older versions of the Bible is to abide, to live, to dwell, to stay put to put foundations and roots down, to make this our home in Jesus. Notice how many times certain words are said in this passage. Repetition always means importance. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to you and I. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Graham, you can't do it. You must remain in the vine. If you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to do what you were created to do, stay in Jesus. And he goes on. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See the two emphases? Staying, remaining, fruit. Important, both together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See how it's emphasized. He's saying it in lots of different ways. Stay in me and you can do it. Leave me, be on your own, you'll shrivel and die. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, and he continues on to say how we will be fruitful. So our second question, which will take a little less time to go through, is how do we remain in Jesus? 
We want to reproduce disciples. We know what a disciple is. We know what the benefits are. We know how to do it. But how do we do it? We need to remain in him. That means we stay in relationship. We choose to stay with Jesus. We choose to stay in an attitude of how we found Jesus, in an attitude of repentance. We choose to stay in a place of saying, I need you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the things I do wrong. We choose to stay in a place of commitment. I want your will for my life this week. I want you inside of me. I want to be your follower. I want you as my Lord. We choose to stay there. We don't visit it. We put our roots down. Jesus, I need you and I'm here, and this is what I want to be. And to stay in relationship, there are three ways we do that humanly. There are three ways we do that with God. The first thing is not that I want to give you family or relationship tips. Uh, I'm the last person to be able to do that, but just three of them. First thing is to talk. You want to stay in relationship with people? Talk to them. You cannot stay in relationship to people you don't talk to. We need to talk to God. We talk to him about what we appreciate and we're grateful. We talk to him about what we are sorry for, we confess. We talk to him about how we're feeling, and what we're struggling with, about what we're worried about, about the questions we have, and we ask him for help and we ask him to change situations. If we are going to make disciples, we have to be people who talk to God. I don't mean once in church. If I asked you, you know, the people that you care about, the people that you want to build relationship. And I said, when are you next going to talk to them? You'll know. You'll know that it will be later on tonight. You'll know that it will be tomorrow. You'll know that perhaps you're going to contact them and give them a ring, whatever it is. The people that really matter, we know when we're going to talk to them. If we're going to stay in Jesus, we have to have a relationship with him. But it's not just talking, it is also listening. We need to be able to hear what he's saying. And the best way of hearing what he's saying is to know what the Bible says and remember it. And I don't mean, see, one of the great things that we've got at the moment is I and many of you will have an app on your phone. Mine at five o'clock every day sends me a verse. It's great. 30 seconds past five, I've forgotten what it was. If we're going to hear God, we've got to let the Bible go into us so that we can remember. I don't mean that you can remember the verse, you know, John 3, 17 says this. I don't mean that specifically. I mean that you know what the words are. If I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's John 3, 17. I chose that because I remembered it. The more of scripture that's in there, the more God can speak to you because he brings it to mind at the moments we need it. Don't rely on your phone but it's saying the right thing to you at five o'clock every day. Rely on what you invest and store in your heart. And as we seek to listen to him, we listen to him also in church and allowing God to speak through sermons. Stay here. This time next year, if this year is anything to go by, anything of the last 20, 30 years, this time next year, somebody here won't be here. They'll have decided to give up. Because maybe we weren't friendly enough. Or maybe God didn't answer the prayer that we wanted. Or maybe we got bored. Or maybe we thought God had stopped talking. Don't be that person. 
Stay in Jesus. Remain. Make a decision, a commitment. I will commit to church, wherever that is. And thirdly, to be in accountable relationships, to be amongst people who can say, I'm going to pray for you on this. How is that gone? How's it going? What are you doing? And we do that in small groups, in natural groupings. Come and join us on a Wednesday night if you're new to church and want to get involved in groups, whether it's Alpha or Living Life. Come and be among us and we'll create that sense of relationship with each other. If you've been in a small group in the past or been in church many, many years, do talk to Deb about being back involved in accountable relationships. And the third way we stay in relationship is that not only do I need to talk to the people I love, not only do I need to uh, listen to the people I love, I also need to do what they like. If they like me to tidy up, I tidy up. If they like their eggs cooked on top or turned over, what's that called? Sunny side up, then I give them eggs sunny side up. If they like their tea with sugar, I give them tea with sugar. If they like their... Do you see what I mean? So if we're going to stay in relationship with Jesus, we do what he likes us to do. What does he like us to do? He likes us to bless people. He likes us to transform lives. He likes us to forgive people. He likes us to release people. He likes us to restore, to bind up, and to serve. How do we do this? We stay in Jesus. So what is it that he does and what do we need to do? Firstly, we stay in relationship. We say, God, I'm going to commit to you. And when the going gets tough, I'm going to stay here. Because I can only do this in the bunch. I can only do this on the vine. I cannot do it if I take my toys, throw them out of the pram, and do it on my own. I can't do it. And if we stay in relationship, then what we discover is that God fills us with his spirit and prompts and changes our hearts and begins to say, what about doing this? What about doing that? See that person over there? Why don't you get closer to them? I know you feel like giving up on that person and our conscience speaks and we can't give up on them. And he transforms us. And the second thing we do is to allow ourselves to be disciples. And we say, God, I'm, will you just feel, I'm, I'm going with you. I want your choice. I want to be what you want me to be. And we allow his work within us. And as we allow him to work within us, he empowers our actions. He takes the things we do, like the little boy who brought five loaves and two fishes, and he multiplies their effect. He multiplies what we do. And that prompts the hearts of those we love and bless. It's not up to manipulate people to be disciples. We're just living the life. And it's God who takes the life we live and works it in their hearts. Fourthly, we recognize that we need him. We recognize that we cannot do this on them. We don't want to be Grahams. We don't want to live in isolation. Again, if we look at John, notice this part. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're saying, God, apart from you, I cannot make any difference in this world. Fill me. And when we do that, then God makes us more Christ-like. He begins to transform and give us a different self-control, a different agenda, a different way of looking at life. And he clips the things that, are, that, that make us proud, that clips the things that we rely on that aren't helpful. It's called pruning. 
every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. Not always easy, not always pain, uh, sometimes painful at the time, but looking back, always the best. A tree that is allowed to do whatever it wants in whatever way it likes, or a bush, or even a vine, it becomes unruly. The, 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 I'm, no, I'm not a gardener, so I'm not using the right language, but what I do know is that it's, it's, it's trying to grow on too many fronts and it withers. And pruning is about trying to concentrate on what really matters, and God will do that in our lives. Lastly, we commit to desiring fruitfulness. We commit to saying, actually, God, what I really want in life is in heaven to meet the people who looked at the way I led my life. And they weren't put off Christianity, they were put onto it. We commit to that goal to be fruitful. But we notice that God withdraws his help when we do not desire fruitfulness. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he makes more more fruitful. But he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. If we say to God, you know what, God, I understand that you made me to replicate my faith in other people, but I just want to do my own thing. I just want to make as much money, be as happy as I can, and do whatever I want with life. And God, I'm going to keep asking and praying to you to make it easier for me. I'm going to ask you to bless my plans. And what we discover is that God says, I'm not really up for that. I'll just move on. And he withdraws. And he's no longer close and with us. You see that in churches where you see God is withdrawn. You see it in believers in the religious world where where God has said, I've got to pull back because it's your agenda and I'm not going to bless it. So we have two choices in life. First choice, will I do what God wants me to do this week or will I do my own stuff? The second choice, will I do it on my own or with God.